millions of Christians face intense persecution and risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. Vom Oz Radio supports persecuted Christians, giving a voice to the testimony of those who have been denied a voice. Our programs inform and encourage Christians in Australia and around the world to mobilize and to stand with our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to Vom Oz Radio, voice for the persecuted. Last week, we began a conversation with Paul and Susie Childers. Paul is the campus director at YWAM's University of the Nations campus in Kona, Hawaii. He has been on Voice of the Martyrs Radio before. Susie is a gospel worker who uses her background in photography to build bridges to people and share Jesus with them. Susie's going to begin by telling us about one of those hurting people that she met when she was traveling in Nigeria. She was just sitting in front of a house and someone had introduced us. And I tried to start a conversation, but where do you start? I mean, she's a complete different woman within a complete different context. So I thought, well, from a mother to a mother, I said, hey, how many children do you have? And she just looked away and, and shook her head. And I thought, oh, maybe she doesn't understand me. So I said the question again, and the same thing happened. And I asked, is she not understanding me? No, 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 she understands English. So I asked a third time, and this time she looked up and said, I have four children. And I said, you know, what is your name? And she told me her name was Paulina. And I said, Paulina, tell me what happened that night when your whole village was um, attacked by a bunch of extremists. And she said, well, we all slept um, well, and then we heard gunshots, and we knew something was, was not right. So we got up of, out of the bed, and she said, I, I gathered my kids, and I said, let's run into the bush. And I took my two-year-old, and I put her uh, into my bag, and we ran as fast as we could. But as we were running, the, the attackers came closer and closer. They could hear them. And she knew there was only one way to save the lives of her children. So she told her kids, run as fast as you can. She turned around, put her little one from the back to the front, and ran into the hands of the attackers. And, uh, of course, they, they got her, they took their machetes, and they cut her fingers and her, her face, and they left her unconscious. Um, the whole attack only lasted for a few hours. So in the morning hour, she was found. She was taken, rushed to the hospital and they operated on her. And when she woke up, she had only one question. Where are my children? How are my children doing? And they had to tell her that out of her seven children, three had died. And when she said the number three, it just hit my heart really deep. I have three children that are alive, but I also have three children that I lost through miscarriages. The most painful thing I'd ever had to walk through was no answers. You know, if you ask why, you don't get answers. And I had to struggle with the whole fact, is God really, truly good in all his ways? Because when it came to myself, I couldn't easily answer that anymore. And I had just had a miscarriage a month before I left to Nigeria. I actually didn't want to go. I was still bleeding. And the Lord gave me this peace to go. And so I went, and when I heard that story of Paulina, I looked at her and I said, Paulina, I have also three children that are dead. And she looked up and looked at me 
And I said, my story is very different from yours, but my kids are also dead. And then we both fell into each other's arms and we wept I don't know how long. And God did something so beautiful in that moment. Two different women with total different backgrounds, nothing in common, were united in their pain. And God showed me in that moment that my pain, although it was really deep and real, was way less than her pain because she, you know, cared for her kids. She fed them. She raised them. I never had the chance to hold my babies. And it was, it was one of those moments in life where God redeemed my own stories for myself. And I remember thinking as I was crying on her shoulders, if that was the only reason why I ever had to experience these miscarriages, it was worthwhile while for this moment with Paulina because we were, we were carrying the burdens of each other's lives and it was such a beautiful moment. No money could pay for that. It's beautiful. So there are some folks who are listening to this right now and they haven't seen that redemption. <laughs> They're still in the, is God really good if he's allowing this to happen to me? How would you encourage them? I had to wrestle with this. So the question was for me, am I going to run away from God or am I going to run towards him in this pain? And as I was looking at the both opportunities, I thought, where in the world do I want to run away from him? If he's in the depths of the sea, okay, how far do I want to go? I'm surrounded by ocean in Hawaii. And I, I made a conscious decision, and my heart had to follow, but I made a conscious decision that I was going to run towards Jesus with all the questions that I had, with all the, the things that I did not understand and all my pain in my heart. I said, Lord, I do not understand this but I'm going to run towards you. And I can tell you that is the only place where healing can come. You run into his arms, and there are, there are questions in our lives that will not be answered at this side of the world. We're going to carry them into eternity. That's when they will be answered. But God is still good in all his ways. Even if it looks different for you right now, if it feels different, run into his arms. That's the only place of healing and of redemption. And if you stay close to God and, and walk through this painful situation with him through the valley of death, I, I promise you there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And there's going to be an ease of your pain at some stage. It's never going to go away. You know, there are still moments when I see kids at a certain age and I'm thinking, ah, that would be mine. I still have that. I live with the consequences of what happened, but it's not painful anymore only. I can see God's goodness in how he treated me through this and how he helped me. And I have been able to help so many other women that were walking through miscarriages since then. And that's where the real redemption part comes. As you walk through it, as you receive healing, as you are a few steps ahead of someone else that just goes through it, you have a chance to minister to someone. And that's really where the healing comes. When you share your heart with someone that suffers because you know how it feels and you can relate. And that's way different talking concepts. And people will immediately know that you know what it means. And I want to encourage you, don't stay in your shell. Don't stay in your pain. Look for help and go towards Jesus. Tell him how you feel. He knows your heart anyway. You don't have to hide anything. Tell him how you feel. 
You don't need to be a super Christian. Just be real with him and ask him to touch those painful moments of your life and redeem them for you. And over time, I promise you, he will. Amen. Let's talk a little bit about balancing ministry and marriage and being parents. And it sounds like you have a pretty good system, but how do you balance all those priorities? Let me start. You know, when I when I was ready, getting ready to get married, I was ready to lay down all that I was doing to be a good wife, to iron my husband's um, shirts, and to maybe, if he writes a book, I can sell his books. I was ready to serve him because that's the concept that I saw in my parents. You know, they were not Christians, but that's what my mom was doing. She was fully there for us. But just a, a week before we got married, I we were in a leadership training course, and um, the speaker talked about the artist going ahead into the battle in the Old Testament for the army to follow. And he said there is a, a special task for people with artistic gifts to to prepare the way for the army of God or the masses of God to come and follow. And it so spoke to me being a photographer. I was about to lay down my camera and to never pick it up, or maybe just for memory shots. And the Lord so clearly spoke to me in that in that moment that I started to cry. The same moment God was speaking to Paul about laying down his ministry so that I could rise up and become everything that I should be. And um, when he told me that, I, I wept and I said, Paul, I don't want a career in missions. I'm happy to get married. I want to have some kids and I want to be a mother. But I knew as I was speaking that that my my calling would not be canceled the moment I get married. That the moment that I have kids, that my gifts wouldn't be just for nothing. I couldn't dig my talents into the grounds and hide myself behind my husband when there was a calling on my own life. And so we had to figure out what that means. So very practical for the first year of the the kid's life, really, I was at home. I was a full-time mom. I did everything a mom did. And then God started to knock at my heart, and I'm like, I'm not ready to go again. And no one knows the tears I cried at the airport when I said goodbye with a smiley face to my kids and walked through security and wept and wept and wept because it almost broke my heart you know, leaving them behind. But looking back, our children have an incredible relationship to their father because I got out of the way. When they they get hurt, when they're hungry, they not just come to the mother, they also go to their father. And Paul has this full-on privilege to really um, connect to this day with the kids on a very deep level that not many fathers do because I followed God, and that's God's faithfulness. You know, it's not about anything we have done, but God honored the decisions we made along the way. And really, that's how our kids, they, they blossom with both of us. And it's been a, a beautiful journey. And yes, yeah, we have some systems. We need systems, you know, clear plans how we do it. But Paul, I'm not coming home to a mess in my house, to a load of washing and an empty freezer. Now, when he takes care of the kids' When I'm gone, he takes care of them. It's not a survival training for anyone, um, but he has <laughs> he has said yes to God's call to support me in in what I do. And so we when we switch it out, in and out, you know, there are times when he leaves and I take over and I do everything. And we are pretty well trained. 
we trained each other so that we can both pretty much do everything what the other person does. And then it's been been really a partnership in Christ for a common cause that has enabled it for us to do. Yeah, I think also sometimes it does get just crazy as well. <laughs> I think just in all honesty, it rather than the word balance, I would use the word blend. What's the priority? And really understanding what the priority is. Something we've been doing recently is really spending time together every day in that quiet place of just listening to God. Not coming with active prayer and supplication or intercessions, but just together as a couple for 20 minutes, just focusing on the presence of God. Be still and know that I am God. And I feel like recently, as we've been doing that, that has really helped both of us, both strong people, uh, quite strong people. And sometimes strong people can go at it, but it's in some ways God can sort of blend us together so that we understand the priority. And once you've got that priority, then that sorts like everything else out. So that's been something we've been doing recently. And I would say that's been pretty helpful in us finding that point of blending it all together because really sometimes it does get really crazy just to be frank (laughs) (laughs) how many teenagers do you have now we have two teenagers okay and And one uh, more coming and one more coming yeah that's right it's only going to get crazier so (laughs) it's fun years what advice would you give to maybe younger couples maybe maybe people thinking about getting married or in their first couple years of marriage as especially those involved in ministry or who want to be involved in ministry, doing the ministry while still having the right priorities at home as well. That's one thing we always have to work with and you you battle with, I, I think, because if you're in a ministry which has been blessed and fruitful, the nature of that fruitfulness just drives you sometimes. There are a couple of very important things that we've done things that we prioritize. One of them is every night to make sure you spend time with the kids when you're there and bless them, to speak blessing into their lives. And we heard a pastor um, share about how important it was for the father and the mother to speak blessing over their kids. And we didn't know how important that would be for our kids. I, I came home late one night. It was midnight or beyond. I flopped into bed. It was a some crazy meeting that I had to be at. And about two in the morning, I felt this presence right next to my head. And it was my little daughter. And she's like, Daddy, you didn't bless me last night. And I'm like, oh, sweetie, I bless you. But but I think speaking those blessings out on the kids, that settles their hearts. So even if it's frantic, they are centered and they know and they have that connection. So I think that's one thing that that has really uh, helped us and that we would recommend to any family. And the other thing we do is we we realize at some stage that the faith of our ki- children is our responsibility. We can't leave it to the church or to a Christian school because they see us every day. So we made it, and it was ridiculous at the beginning. The only time we could do this was 6 a.m. in the morning. Our little one was maybe five, six years old. And we decided that we would spend about 45 minutes unstructured time but around the Bible. And it could be anything from watching a little clip, from reading through a whole Bible book, from looking at some 
uh, concepts uh, in, in, into the Bible then, and we do that together. And to this day, that's five days a week, we do this, and it's been fascinating. I remember how we started. We just read one chapter. No one, no one prepares anything. We read one chapter of the book of Acts, and we ask ourselves, what did we learn about Jesus? And even the five-year-old, half asleep on the sofa, was able to contribute to that. And without us even knowing, this has become the center of our family life. And I cannot emphasize this enough. And yes, six o'clock is ridiculous. But if it's, that's the only time, then do it. It's a sacrifice at the beginning. But when it becomes a habit, it's where we solve so many things. It's where we pray into decisions. It's where Paul might say, I have a really difficult meeting today. He's not going into you know, details. Would you pray for me? And the kids come around him and they pray. There's childish prayer. It's so beautiful. But that has been very important. And if you don't have kids yet, then I would say become a team. Work with each other and not against each other. Um, we have always, and that's a, a value we have in use of the mission, we are called as a whole family. So first as a, as a couple and then with the children. So everyone is part of the team. It's not that the father goes and does something um, and we wait for him to come back, but we come behind him, we come alongside, and we all know what's happening. So we can all pray together for him or for her if it's the mother. But being a team is so important. It's so easy to, uh, everyone lives their own lives, you know, but come together, make that a, a, a real habit as a couple too. Read the Bible together, pray, because um, that should be really the foundation of your relationship. And if that is strong, you can do so many more things and you can stand all kinds of storms because you are founded, you're anchored, you're rooted. I'm interested, Paul, a little more. You're taking your son on a trip. Is this the first time that he will go into that kind of a situation? No, I took him um, all over South Asia, I think when he was nine, for about three weeks. Okay. So we've often taken our kids along with us. I think um, Nigeria is a little more of a challenge. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. Um, and he's excited to come, actually. I bet he, he wants is. to come. Yeah. 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 What What seeds are you hoping to plant in him through those experiences? I think the joy of serving the Lord. He's heard all these stories. He's We've talked to him about all these people. Now he gets to experience it himself. And I wouldn't want to take that experience away from him, where he sees, like, the situation— when I'm talking, it's not a concept or an imagination, but right. he's actually been there. He knows what it is. He's met the people, and it, it can become real to him. So I'm hoping in his life that's what happens. But also, I, I want him to understand that he can really make a difference in other people's lives too because he's seen the, the journey of what we've done to help support the ministry over in that country. And he's seen the step-by-step -step way. So I hope that he understands that actually we can do anything with God. That's nothing is too difficult. It doesn't matter what part of life it's in. Uh, my son is a sportsman. He's a triathlete. He can become the, a world champion if, if he wants. He can do something for God. Nothing is too difficult for him. And so I'm really wanting that that sort of gets layered into his soul as well. And, and that he has an experience as well in God that's his. Now, it's still under my umbrella, if you will, but that he actually steps out 
and has his own experiences. Paul and Susie, I feel like we could talk for hours, but as we wrap up, one of the things we want to equip people to do is pray. So we want our listeners to be able to pray. Uh, As you think about the work of YWAM around the world and some of the people that you have met over the years, how can we pray for YWAM and for the work that's happening right now? One of the things that we would love prayer for is really being able to understand the seasons that we live in, that we can really come out of this coronavirus pandemic time strong, that we our relationships are good, and that we can see God do immeasurably more than we could ever imagine because we're walking through this challenging time together. And it has been difficult. But one of the things that we would love prayer for, for YWAM, and we're in 192 countries of the world, so pretty much every single one, and everyone's in a little bit of a different situation, but that we can be unashamed of the gospel of Christ, that we can see um, his, his message and the power of the gospel lived out um, in the communities where they are, and that we would really see the glory of God come. So I think that would be definitely one prayer point, that we can come out of this time of the pandemic strong and fully going and fully fruitful um, for God. And that would be one thing that we'd ask prayer for. And Susie, I won't I want to ask you about the the voiceless. We talked about the voiceless earlier, and I'm thinking of, uh, you know, that that widow in Nigeria or someone else who has gone through a very difficult season. How can we pray, especially for those who are our Christian brothers and sisters? Maybe it's persecution. Maybe it's just something else that has happened in their life. How can we pray and support them in our prayers? It's funny that you asked me because I would have gone very personal in this question. So, of course, if you hear about stories, if you get access to to people's testimonies, uh, maybe through Voice of the Martyrs, you know, take those stories to your heart, really. I mean, take the time to really um, sit down, hear it, search your heart, you know, meditate over it, put yourself into that situation and and ask what, what would be your need in such a situation and then pray what's on your heart. But but also don't forget that people are around you. So we, we, we want to pray for the world, and that's so important. I cannot overemphasize that, you know, especially if you hear certain testimonies about our brothers and sisters that are suffering. But there are people around you as well that we can be just blind to that are neighbors that, you know, we know they are in trouble, but we just don't want to take the time or we don't know how to start. Ask God for opportunities to reach out to them. Bake something, bring a flower, um, smile at their kids. I mean, just do something little that would give you an inroad into the hearts. Because really, I mean, missions is not so much about going on an airplane. It's not going on an airplane to another place. It's where God put you. He's called you to be salt and light. So I want to challenge you to really ask God to open your eyes so that you would see the people around you while you're praying for the needs of the world that you're hearing. So it's both. Amen. Because you also can be the answer to someone's prayer. Christians in hostile nations may live far from us. As believers, we know that we are one with them and part of the body of Christ. As such, we can't ignore their suffering. If the Holy Spirit is impressing you to know more and support the work of Voice of the Martyrs, 
please visit our website at vom.com.au. All donations of $2 and more are tax deductible in Australia. This has been a production of Vom Oz Radio, voice for the persecuted.